Welcome to the C-Suite podcast from the FinTech Talents Festival here at the Brewery in London. We're producing this show in partnership with Andaria, experts in scalable embedded finance solutions. I'm your host, Graham Barrett, and I'm going to be interviewing the key speakers here on Andaria's stand. Hope you enjoy the conversations. I'm here now with Tayosi Ario. She is the founder and CEO of Diaspora World. Nice to see you here today. Hi, Graham. Nice to see you. So tell me about Diaspora World. Who are you guys? What are you trying to do? Okay, so we're trying to solve the problem of financial inclusion for SMEs in emerging economies. And it's a really important problem to solve because that gap is widening for SMEs and we're using the latest innovative technologies around AI and machine learning to really bridge that last mile of financing using mobile phones as well, which is what we find in emerging economies. Most people don't have bank accounts, but actually they have mobiles. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've heard that before about no bank account, but yet you do have a mobile phone. So that makes complete sense. Now, I know you're busy at FinTech Talents this year. You're speaking on a couple of panels, you're hosting panels. Tell me about this one today. It's uh, called Shaking the Foundations, talking about a common ground between FinTech and regulation. And the question posed is, what is the right balance between innovation and protection? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think both go hand in hand because both are moving at such a fast pace. Um, so obviously regulation is evolving and so is innovation. So really it's a balance and um, I guess you have to look at it as, as a whole ecosystem. And are there any key points that you're looking to make in that session today? Yes, I think there's always this debate about fintechs versus incumbents, right? About you know the big banks and then the, the new challengers. And I think both need each other and it's important to understand that. So um, the established banks have you know legacy infrastructure that they have to deal with. They also have a large balance sheet and a large customer base. And really they get pulled into headlines if anything goes wrong. <laughs> Whereas the fintechs um, obviously get a lot better ride, I would say. <laughs> and also, you know, but they have the flexibility, they don't have the excess baggage of the established banks. And I think it's important to understand that both need each other and the best partnerships is where both are actually playing to their strengths. Yeah, yeah. So how can they coexist together in your opinion? I think it's just about exploring, learning together and just making sure that they are, as I said, playing to each other's strengths. And so the banks, the large established banks have great relationships with the regulators, right? And they have to deal with them more frequently. So they can be that kind of big brother that kind of brings in, uh, you know, a challenger uh, fintech into the space. And similarly, the fintechs are evolving and, you know, can move faster. So they can also um, kind of bring that innovation into established banks. Now, keeping on the theme of regulation and innovation, where do you think the UK sits kind of in this post-Brexit era? Can it differentiate itself from the rest of Europe, do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, with the Financial Services Markets Act, which was enacted in June, really the UK has already kind of put that in motion to almost cherry pick the things that it wants to keep and the things that it wants to loosen up, I should say. And obviously because we're now outside of the EU, we need to think about that. And, and even what they're looking to do is actually make it a competitive advantage for the UK. Yeah, I also want to ask you about, you were working with Rise by Barclays, weren't you, around Black History Month. How was that? What was that all about? Yeah, so it was really exciting to work with such an established bank that is so forward-looking around diversity. And just really thinking in the fintech space, right, we need diversity of voices. We need diversity in the build and the design in, you know, all areas. 
And it was just a great honour to be asked to do an interview with Barclays Rise. And what did you talk about? What were they asking you? So they asked me about leadership, which was great, and who my role models were, which are my parents. And so it was just about who I was. So I'm a barrier breaker. My whole history around barrier breaking from my parents and all of the other things. So really diving into who the founder is. Yeah, so it was really good. And what about the future from Diaspora's point of view? What do you see as your key priorities maybe in the next, I don't know, 12 months? Yeah, so I think for us, and that's why we're located in London, because, I mean, obviously, UK is, you know, one of the largest financial centres. And what we see is the engagement with the regulators through sandboxes, so the digital sandboxes, so that we can co-create in terms of our offering. Because, as I said, I've worked for established banks and I've also founded my own fintech. So I understand that the two need to go together. Yeah. And what kind of conversations, just to finish up this interview here today, what kind of conversations are you looking to have at Fintech Talents? Who are you trying to meet? I'm just in awe around this whole mix of things. I love innovation. I love speaking to people and getting new ideas. So really, the things that I'm getting out of it is identity, the whole thing around inclusion for identity. Uh, which is a big topic and also obviously with AI, AI is a buzzword now, right? But really what are the use cases? Not just with the public, but developers and other areas. So really looking at those other aspects that are not in the headlines. Yeah, no, <laughs> fascinating. I mean, there's so many talking points here at the yes. event, aren't they? So we'll have a great event, Toyo Sierrio, and uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Graham. Nice to meet you. Joining me now is David Cox. He's the payments lead at Virgin Media. David, nice to meet you. And you, yeah, very good morning. Yeah, very exciting event. Yeah, really good to see you here at FinTech Talent. So let's start off about payments. You're the payments lead at Virgin Media. Where are we today with payments, both from, I guess, an industry perspective and a Virgin Media perspective? Wow. Yeah. I remember when payments used to be very boring and it was just direct debits and card payments, but over the last few years, it's just exploded into uh, so many options. Customers used to be very traditional with uh, direct debits as a default payment method, and then they'd use their debit and credit card occasionally, but now we've moved into wallets, open banking. And I think the challenge is every merchant and every business is different, and consumers are very different as well. I, I think when we all went into that lockdown, if you remember that, customers started to use digital channels which they'd never used before. So I think we're in a very different place to where we were even three or four years ago. As a business, Virgin Media and O2 are focusing on how acquisition can work really swiftly and quickly. And I think we're also looking at remembering that not everyone has a smartphone and you still need to support those that take their bill to the post office and pay in the old-fashioned manual way. So so yeah, it's supporting all those different channels and making sure they work for the consumer. Yeah, so that kind of inclusivity side as well, the financial inclusivity, yeah, sure. Now you mentioned open banking there, you're speaking on a session about open banking here at FinTech Talents. How has this changed the payment sector? Now open banking has a great deal of opportunities for all merchants. There's two elements to it. One is making payments, so to make your payment really swiftly and quickly, like you do a car payment, but it is just slightly quicker and for merchants, slightly cheaper. But there's also the data element, which is becoming more important. So when you onboard a customer onto your website, you can use open banking to pre-populate lots of data and fields, which makes the onboarding much much more quick and, and fast and easy for the consumer. Which is interesting because if you go back some years, many of us were told to never share our data and now we're being encouraged to share our data to make our lives easier. So it's quite an interesting demographic there, but uh, yeah. I, I think it's got a lot of opportunity and 
a lot of merchants. You probably, when you go to pay your credit card now or HMRC, you'll see open banking is already there. No, that's quite an interesting point you make about that switch around in terms of our data, absolutely. So who's open banking going to benefit then? I think consumers will benefit from the fact that it makes their lives easier and when you go to make a payment you can budget more accurately, you can see what's in your banking at any point in time, particularly with a cost of living crisis where some customers are budgeting like food, petrol and broadband TV, mobile. So it's kind of giving customers more of an insight into how to budget, so that's really useful. For merchants, I think the benefit there is it's less clunky for a consumer to have to put in that 16-digit card number every time or security codes. I think it's it's a security around it as well and the fraud prevention element. So there's a lot of opportunity for open banking for both the merchant and the consumer. Yeah, and then I guess embedded finance is then the next step after open banking. I think so, yeah. O2 and Virgin Media do handset finance already. So when you get those iPhones or latest Samsung phones, some customers take loans over two or three years for that now. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there for open finance. And going back to that data element, that data can be used in lots of different ways. Merchants can use it for affordability checks, they can use it for fraud checks, and so there's lots of opportunities there to make consumers' lives much easier. Let's just finish up with your priorities regarding the payment infrastructure at Virgin Media. Well, our challenge is, you're probably aware that Virgin Media and O2 are merging together, two very different businesses, so our priorities will be to make our consumers' journey much easier to understand, so instead of getting separate invoices for your mobile product, your insurance, your broadband. We've got to merge all those consumers onto one billing system. And we have business customers as well. As well, So we're doing exactly the same thing there. So I think the end game is to have less payment platforms, less providers, moving to a one-stop shop solution where if something goes wrong, you just bring one person instead of five or six. So yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at uh, amalgamating all those businesses into a much better customer experience. Sounds like you've got a big job in your hand, David. Yeah, we yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> I could be here for years doing this, but no, I, we're hoping to do that all within the next two to three years. Well, all the very best with that. David Cox, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you very much. No, much appreciated. Uh, good to see you. Joining me now is Kevin McAdam, who's Director of Cards at Andaria. Nice to see you here today, Kevin. Nice to see you as well. How are you enjoying FinTech Talent so far? It has a really good feel about it. There's lots of really interesting people about what they're trying to do. So there's a mixture of startup and, and also established companies. Yeah, I agree. There's a really vibrant uh, atmosphere here at the event today. But um, let's go back to some news about Andaria. Can you tell us about any recent developments? Uh, yes, certainly. So we've been working through, as you know, we're developing our embedded finance solution. And an element of that that's really now starting to come to fruition is our cards proposition. So we've recently signed a contract with Discover, which gives us principal membership in the UK and Europe. And likewise, we're at the same space in MasterCard. So that will give us a complete suite. So building on the dedicated iBands and the business accounts solution that we already have established, which, is, which has got the multi-currency element, the cards will provide that linked card solution which will enable people to have maybe virtual accounts, physical cards or an e-wallet as part of the proposition. Yeah, what does that mean for you as a business and for your embedded finance offering do you think? It gives us the complete solution. I think offering just a business account would be only part of the, the way forward. What we're trying to do is establish something that gives us a bit of a USP so it provides a sort of a suite of services 
which is really what's important now because what you're looking for to go for companies is really give them a one-stop shop for their their ultimate solution and try to help them with the whole process so they're not having to use multiple different partners. And tell us about, obviously, your director of cards. Is there any news on the card front at Andara at the moment? Yes, so the good news is one of the, our first clients that we'll bring on board is going to be a solution which has a, a crypto element. So this will be working with a company that are in the Metaverse space, and this will provide both a crypto element as well as a consumer debit card that will be powered by Andaria. So it provides those customers a choice of two options, really. And it will be a great first step for us to go, and that will happen in early part of next year. Yeah, exciting times. Do you see that as the kind of way forward, as a pointer of things to come, if you like? I think the solution that we're really looking at is much more in the community-based membership space. I think this is something that we've looked at to sort of really help us take that first step. But what's been very interesting is looking, scoping the market in the membership space, which has already created a lot of buzz. And I think that is where we're sort of aiming for because we've had some good traction already on customers who are interested in, as I said, having that suite of services. And that membership community-based element is quite strong because you, you give them a greater affinity with their client base. You help them in cost savings. You help them also with data. They monetize the data better on those on those customers. And ultimately, you give them a, a solution that's going to enrich their opportunity with their sport supporters or associations. Sounds like there's lots going on. Kevin McAdam, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm here with Jit Ng, who's the Payments Industry Interface Manager at Transport for London. Jit, lovely to see you here today. Hey, Graham. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, not at all. Now, you've just spoken on a session, haven't you, around open finance. What were some of the key points made? I think the key points there was very much along the lines of open banking is kind of the buzzword today. And everybody's thinking, you know, that's going to be the silver bullet that will help everybody. And I'm turning around and saying, you know, for TFL, not necessarily. You have to understand what the challenges are, and the challenges are genuinely costs, processes, new things that are happening. It has an implication on TFL, and we have no money to make that change. So how are we going to do this? How are you going to do this? Yeah. Well, what we're hoping for is that we're hoping that the industry understands the challenges, understands that transit is not retail. So I tried to start off this hashtag, transit is not retail, <laughs> right? and understand the nuances. Once they understand the nuances, they can then turn around and say, okay, fine. So we can come up with a model for TFL. And once we come up with a model, then we need to talk about, okay, so this is how it technically work, this is how the process will work. Then we need to talk about ballpark figures. How much is this going to be in the, in the realms of? Because once you understand that, then now you can start working with us to see how we can bring an idea into reality. So it's coming up with a kind of bespoke solution really rather than just thinking of a one-size-fits-all it needs to work for you guys clearly so I guess the obvious question is why would you guys consider open banking then? Well open banking is something new that's coming in the industry and it'd be very foolish of TFL not to look into it and see whether or not there's any mileage in this at the end of the day what we want is options right options to our customer and more importantly, options to ourselves, so that we can turn around and say, oh, this is a better commercial model, or this is a better service model for my customers. 
So that's why my role was created, was to actually sit down there, attend moments like this. Because otherwise, have you ever seen TFL leave their, their headquarters? No, because they're just focused on transit, 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 right? So now they're understanding payments plays a big part of this. And if we get that right, then our costs can be kept at a lower level. And by keeping our costs lower means that we can meet the fact that just because cost rises, we can't pass them on. We are driven by policy, not profit. It's obviously a very customer-centric approach that you have at TFL, which is reassuring to hear. How do you approach customer experience at TFL? What are your kind of fundamentals there? So for us, we have a few pillars that we have to, you know, value pillars that we have to go through. Transparency. How do we come to that decision? That needs to be able to withstand any scrutiny. The other thing that we need to make sure is that the customer is treated fairly and the customer journey does not differ. Just because you are the CEO, just because you're Madonna using TFL services doesn't mean that I give you any extra value or any extra service, right? It's the same experience and it needs to be simple. The reason why TFL is so successful is that it's a simple model. But with simplicity comes opportunities for fraud to happen. And this is where we need to get on top of it. Yeah, let's just finish up on that point then around fraud. I mean, how concerned are you and what do you need to put in place to combat these fraudsters? So for, for us, fraud, luckily for us uh, in transit, it's very, very low, right? Fraudsters don't steal a card, don't clone a card, and then go traveling on TFL tracks. No point. So in that respect, it's low. But what we need to be really careful about is trending. So the TikTok craze, whereby somebody posts something and says, oh, if you do it this way, you can get free travel, right? Those are the things we need to come down hard on. And they're not seasoned fraudsters, they're just kids. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to hear. I've heard this from all different sides today, so it's fascinating to hear it from a, a TFL perspective. Jit, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Not at all. Thank you so much for inviting me, Brian. Take care. Joining me now is Lee Taylor, Chief Financial Officer at OnlyFans. Nice to see you here today, Lee. And you. Thanks for having me. What brings OnlyFans to FinTech Talents? Well, yeah, we're here to meet the FinTech community. We have a lot of connections in the space, everything through ID verification, all the way through to making the payments out in our global payment network. What are the challenges from a payments perspective for a two-sided marketplace like OnlyFans? Lots of challenges, lots of opportunities, I think. Go back in the early days, it was very much how do we collect all the payments from the fans? How do we get the money to the creators? Quickly, effectively, reliably, and cheaply. We want the creators to keep as much of their 80% as possible, if not all of it. So I think a lot of the challenges we've overcome We've just paid out over $15 billion in creative earnings since we started. So, you know, the network exists, it's, it's kind of proven. So now it's opportunities. Yeah, how can we optimize? How can we provide more benefits to the creators, to the fans, protect them from foreign exchange costs, and just make it a cheaper way to transact? Now, you just spoke on a session here at FinTech Talents around easing cross-border payments. How did that session go for you and what were some of the key points raised? It was a great session. We had Ravinda from Snowfall. He sees it more on that kind of B2B side in the travel industry. Again, deemed high risk with more big ticket payments. Really interesting shared challenges as well. It's the cross-border is what gives OnlyFans its potential. It's a monetization tool for 
any over 18 creator to access a market of fans in all non-sanctioned countries. So with that comes a huge amount of cross-border. We have creators in over 100 countries. So you're getting the payments to them in all the ways above, you know, quickly, cheaply, reliably, is challenging. Is there one solution to it? I don't think so. <laughs> but what we found is taking a, a piecemeal approach, building that local payment network has really helped. And like I say, on that FX side, being able to get the money to the creators, especially when they're outside the US and, and not in a US bank account, US dollar bank account, protecting them from those exchange rates that can come if you were to just send your USD into a GBP bank account, for example. So we haven't solved it on day one. It took a while to, to build and solve and, and we're still developing it. But I'm disappointed that the session didn't tell me the one way that we could solve all, <laughs> all of our problems. Now, there have been a lot of conversations here at FinTech Talents about embedded finance. Do you see those solutions working for you at OnlyFans? I spoke on an embedded finance panel here last year, actually, and I was surprised I got invited back because my input was very much we should focus on the product and not on alternative monetization solutions. At OnlyFans, we link our revenue to the creator's earnings. So there is nothing outside of that 20% that we earn. So we don't monetize on payments, we don't monetize on data, we don't sell advertising. And we keep that focus for a core reason because if we just focus on what maximizes the creator's earnings, it will grow the platform, it will grow its application, yeah, we focus on the safety side as well, and that's holistically the best thing for the business. As it relates to embedded finance in terms of new things, there's things we're working on, how can we reward the creators, reward the fans. So that's you know very much work in progress, but we like to focus on the products rather than bolting new things on. Let's just finish up talking about maybe your priorities as CFO over the next 12 months. It really links in with the vision of the business. Yeah, we want to disrupt the internet model that exists today. The internet is a space that is heavily anonymized. We try and do that differently. It's a space where safety can be improved in a lot of areas. And it's something that we have focused on in our KYC, in our content moderation. Yeah, the platform exists today and every single piece of content that's posted on it is reviewed by a human, prioritized by a computer but reviewed by a real human being and those are the steps that we're doing to try and build the safest social media platform possible. You know, and as a CFO, my job is to you know support those decisions, take that same ethos into our finance function, into our payments function and, and push it forward. Best of luck with all those challenges and Lee Taylor, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm here with Alex Dorobantu, who's the Senior Director of Global Payments at Delivery Hero. Alex, nice to see you. Nice to be here. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, so what brings you to this event? I love the idea of this event because there were so many companies that I wasn't aware of, and uh, they offer interesting payments-related services, but not necessarily payments. So it's a way for me to kind of expand my horizon a bit and learn more about what's out there in the you know, embedded finance space, in the identity space. These are areas that don't directly relate to payments, but they're very close. So who are Delivery Hero? Could you give us a bit of an insight to the company? Yes, Delivery Hero is one of the largest food delivery companies in the world. We are a public company. Of, we do around 45 billion euros GMV per year. And we operate in 70-something countries, so we are very 
complex in terms of uh, you know operating because of of the emerging markets we operate in, and also because of the you know the many countries and the many platforms that we operate. Yeah, sure. And you're busy here at FinSec Talents as well, aren't you? You've got two sessions that you're appearing on. Let's talk about the first one, which is around embedded finance. So. What are your thoughts about the trends in embedded finance at the moment? Yeah, it, it feels that the big banks are kind of a bit getting decomposed and uh, more and more of their services are being taken by other ecosystem players and merchants have a nice opportunity to kind of increase the loyalty of their brand by offering some of the, um, some of the financial services as well. It's very important for merchants to, to figure out in my opinion, what are the, the financial services that make their offering better. A lot of times, uh, and I actually see this a lot, a lot of times merchants think about building fintech units in order to recast their company into a fintech company and increase their multiples and uh, you know the CFO's biggest dreams come true that you're no longer a shitty business that's valued at you know, one times revenue, but you're a fintech company valued at 20 times revenue. But I don't think that's the right reason to go into, into fintech as a merchant. It's more about like, can you have a, a clear synergy between the product that you're offering and the financial service that would make your product better? Because otherwise, just having a marketplace of financial services, nobody goes to a food app to get financial services. You need to have like this, this synergy with whatever you're doing. Yeah, and then the second session you're going to be speaking on is around the digital wallet, isn't it? From online to offline. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think in the future there will be more and more merchant wallets. It seems that having a wallet is a great opportunity to engage your customers more and it seems that they perform better in terms of loyalty and in terms of you know payments performance also. The customer lifetime value increases, frequency increases, average order value, everything. So there will be more and more of these wallets and you can see already most of the big merchants have this. I think the magic happens when this merchant wallet becomes open loop wallet, right? Where you can, it's not just a feature of a website, but it's an actual experience that you can take to other places as well. And I think this is where wallet service providers are, are kind of working a lot to be able to enable this. I think there are also other types of companies that are, are trying to get into this space where they're trying to maybe provide merchant wallet solutions that don't even rely on a ledger. A company that comes to mind, for example, is Bluecode that I like. They're a payment scheme that is able to offer the wallet solutions without the burden of having customer top up, which seems very interesting. I think this will be very interesting to see in the next five to 10 years how, how the merchant apps start kind of building ecosystems. You see this already in Southeast Asia, for example, where you have the likes of Alipay, WeChat, or even in outside of China, you have GrabPay, which is a big delivery and rights merchant there that has their payments ecosystem quite uh, quite expanded. So it will be very interesting to see if this comes to Europe. Yeah, now. some really interesting trends there. So well, good luck for your sessions. Good luck for everything you're doing at Delivery Hero. And Alex Doran-Bantu, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. A big thank you once again to all my guests who took the time to come and speak with me here on Andaria stand at the FinTech Talents Festival in London. Really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to contribute to the conversation, you can do that on LinkedIn and all the other social media channels. Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website at c But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.